welcome back to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Christy and joining you from London today. And once more, I am joined by my brilliant co-host, Andy Bannister. Andy, hey, how's it going for you? Doing well. I, I like I like brilliance. I'll take that to the bank, although I probably owe you uh, a check for that. So uh, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> that you do, mate. You're great. Oh, and man. we're also joined by a uh, a wonderful guest today. We've got Kyle Bashirs. Kyle, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. We're we're really looking forward to our conversation with you today. You um, well, you've done a lot of research in a in a topic that is just so important and crucial for us to be you know engaging with and thinking about. I've done a very small amount of it myself, but you've actually written a huge book on it called Apathyism: How We Share When They Don't Care. Carl, what got you into thinking about the topic of apathy? How did you first come across it? What got you involved in it? That's a really good question, because actually, uh, the first time I encountered apathyism was in the UK. Um, My wife and I relocated uh, to Cambridge, and we were there for about three years. And during our time there, um, I'd like to have evangelistic conversations with people, gospel conversations, and a lot of them were falling flat on their face. And uh, I mistook that for them being hostile uh, to the gospel, or like not having enough time to give me the attention to have those kinds of conversations. And interestingly, it wasn't until I was speaking with a Muslim man who was proselytizing in the market square there in the center of the city uh, that he pointed out to me that um, he was he was having similar issues. I thought that was really strange because I wasn't going around Cambridge trying to you know proselytize people to Islam. Um, but he pointed out, no, 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 no. It's it's not that. It's that the people that we're trying to talk to are completely indifferent to questions related to God altogether. So it's not so much that they're angry or that they're hostile, like some of the new atheist movement might have been in the past. It's just that they see God as being completely irrelevant. And so having the conversation about Jesus is irrelevant to them. And he asked a question that really haunted me. Um, I'll never forget it. He was kind of looking out into the the bustle of the market. And he said, so many of these people don't care about God. How can that possibly be? Uh, and that, that question kind of haunted me. And it sent me on this little path of answering it, really, from a Christian perspective. Hmm. So, Carl, before we get into a little bit on, on how we on how we address it and how we engage with, with, with friends or neighbors or colleagues who are perhaps apathetic, have you got a sense of what's driving it? What's brought that cultural moment? Because... You know, I can imagine, or I think it was the case when I was sort of growing up, you know, uh, I won't say how many decades ago, but, um, you know, not that long ago, those questions around, you know, the more atheistic questions were there. I think, you know, as a as a teenager and young adult, I think, you know, most of my friends were probably not not actively like angrily hostile, but if you raised faith, they would come back with a question or an objection. But we've now shifted into this cultural moment where there's more of the apathy around. What's You've got any sense of what's driving that? It is really interesting, too, because um, when when I was in Cambridge, I had the opportunity to go to the student union, and there was a really um, thorough debate between a new atheist and and a theist, Uh, and it was very lively, and a lot of people were interested. And yet, at the same time, there was this kind of um, shift in the air that these kinds of conversations that we're having are a little passe, or they're becoming expired, and we're moving on to something different. And I think that something different was first pointed out by a guy named Jonathan Rauch, who wrote an essay called Let It Be in the Atlantic Monthly. Uh, he described himself as a, an, an atheistic Jew, but really he's an apathyist. He's kind of the first one to popularize this term. 
in that uh, he just doesn't really care about whether or not God exists. And the conditions to go from where we're having really lively debates about the question of God to one of complete indifference, I think can only happen when conditions are just right. And those conditions are just right in a lot of Western society. Um, obviously, I think we could all counter, or we can all intuitively kind of imagine secularism is playing into this. And so if belief in God is contestable, um, maybe he's irrelevant. Or uh, secularism as a, a plurality of beliefs. So there's just so many different beliefs. And, you know, who has the right answer? I don't know. I'll just let the philosophers sort that out. But I think also, too, there's a, a type of status of life that a lot of Westerners enjoy, which is that we're very comfortable. So we have all of our needs met. We're not, we, none of us really think about uh, the rain being sufficient to give us a harvest so that we can survive through the winter like people did centuries ago, or many people do around the world today. And also, we're very distracted. Uh, we wake up in the morning from sunrise to sunset, and our attention is constantly being called by just many, many different voices from our smartphones to our computers to our tasks. And so we've lost the bandwidth to uh, meditate on some of the most important questions. So you put all of those conditions together, the contestability of God, the diversity of belief in God, our comfort and our distraction, questions about God and how he relates to our lives, we don't prioritize. And the longer we don't prioritize them, I think the more they become irrelevant to us. Thanks so much, Carl. That's, that's such a wonderful overview because um, I'm familiar with the uh, the article in the Atlantic that you that you refer to. Because doesn't Rauch talk about how um, apathism is kind of like a tonic uh, to to take against the uh, the extremism of of religions and um, non religions as well? How do so? How do we for societies then that have pretty much self medicated through kind of materialism, as you mentioned, and have pretty much kind of put on this layer of apathy whether by choice or cultural conditions how do we go about actually engaging that how do we go about tapping away and and trying to kind of just chink through that um that hard crusty layer of apathy in our in our conversations yeah so there's there's two things in there the first is is rauk's point um is, as you rightly pointed out, he was he was arguing that uh, this is this kind of soothes the extremisms of ideologies. And honestly, to a point, I empathize with the argument that he was trying to make. So we have to remember this is 2003 when he writes the essay um, in the United States, in New York, if I'm not mistaken. And so just on the heels of 9-11, there's a lot of questions about well, what do we do with extreme ideologies that lead to violence. And Rauch's recommendation was, well, if we just don't care about our beliefs, to his credit, whether they're religious or not religious. So he would say, you know, re extreme religious uh, beliefs or kind of secular religious beliefs like Stalinism. Now, if we don't care about our beliefs so much, then maybe we'll just kind of drift off into this tranquility, this live and let live type of a type of a belief. Uh, and, and, to a certain extent, I think his prophecy or prediction is coming true, at least in the United mm -hmm. States. And I'm sensing probably something similar in the UK 
in West Western Europe in general. Um, but the there's a, there's a problem with this though because as believers we know uh, to be completely indifferent to God is to be completely indifferent to not only our holy Creator but also the source of everything that we're looking for in life when it comes to meaning and value and purpose and our question and the place in the universe. I mean you you are mm-hmm. shutting yourself off from the questions that your heart desires the most to be answered. Uh, so when we encounter apathyism, I think our first response as believers should really be to search for apathyism in our own heart because we're swimming in the same water that yeah. all of our neighbors are swimming in. But then second, um, a, 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 a brokenness to desire to see them um, with, a, with a true and holy fervor uh, to God. Uh, so I, I guess that kind of leads to the second part of your question, but maybe there's some thoughts in there before we go there. Kind of, what do we do? How do we share? Yeah. Well, one thought that, that occurred to me as you as as you shared uh, that um, that remark there, um, Carl, was that um, you know at the back of my mind, like for many of us actually in recent years, has been you know in some, some senses not all of this is new, right? And to go, I often it's interesting to look back to that famous quote that's doing the rounds a lot these days you know the uh the pascal one you know first make present the gospel in such a good way that that good men wish it were true and then show that it is because of course unless you actually appreciate that the gospel matters and i wonder if there's something in here right because you know it occurs to me you know to take it out of a, a spiritual setting you know if you try and you know it, it sort of if you sort of say to me that I, you, don't, you don't really care about cricket I'll be sad as an Englishman, as an American, you're, you know, you prefer these strange sort of non-sports like baseball, which is really just hitting things with sticks. Um, but it's not really going to worry me. On the other hand, if you say, I don't believe in building foundations, I'm not going to invite you to build the house for me because because one doesn't really matter and one really, really does. And is there a step in the conversations with our friends where we've somehow got to navigate those waters and perhaps help them see what actually stands on on Christian faith? Because because you hinted at it, but it, quite a lot actually stands on on the question of God, right? It's not just God is not just one more abstract fact about the universe, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, for starters, um, well, to go back to the baseball thing, maybe we can find common ground on rounders. <laughs> uh, but, children's playground game, Carl. I would say <laughs> cricket is is a culture. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I mean, ironically, uh, I was I was trying to segue that smoother than. But um, there is a there is a sense in which you still share common ground with with uh, people that are completely indifferent to God, and uh, that common ground has, as you pointed out, Pascal is, um, has was thinking about these issues long before um, most people were. And actually, I think you start to see apathyism during the Enlightenment or. Uh, you know, a few hundred years ago when there's just massive amounts of shift in the way that the Western mind thinks happening. Um, but also you have you have folks like Kierkegaard or Augustine, and, and they're all pointing out something similar in that there's, because we're created uh, in the image and likeness of God, um, we were meant for a relationship with him. And no matter how hard we try to separate or sever ourselves from that, there's always going to be residue. There's always going to be an echo of... Um, not only that, re- the relationship, but uh, our mismatched desires in finding that relationship in the created order. And so that's where I think we go when it comes to an apatheist. I, I think the temptation is um, because so long we've been trained with evangelistic and, and to a certain extent apologetic models of, you know, trying to 
present some kind of rational argument for the existence of God, and then to have a dialogue in those objections, and then eventually um, move them then toward the gospel. But the problem with apathyism is that if somebody's not really interested in the questions related to God's existence, they're really not going to be interested in your arguments related to the questions uh, to, to questions of God's existence. So we need to find something that they are interested in. And um, of the many things that we could do, I think everybody's interested in their own happiness and their own joy. And so I found personally that uh, the best kinds of conversations with somebody that I sense to be an apathyist has found have been in, in asking kind of what are their joy bringers, recognizing that the joy bringers, whatever they are, are not powerful and permanent enough to sustain them in life's deepest and hardest challenges. And then that kind of allows me a permission from them to share what my greatest joy bringer is, which is the Lord Jesus, um, and, and, and kind of framing the gospel in those terms. That, that's such a... Uh, I think that's just such a great way, isn't it, of seeing how none of us are actually apathetic about anything and, and thinking about it as a term like who are the joy bringers. That's, that's really quite a powerful phrase, um, particularly thinking about this culturally. What kind of um, conversations have you had as you've asked that question to people around you? Yeah, so it can become a really uncomfortable conversation to have. And uh, I want to tell you one of one that I think failed first. <laughs> because uh, so often, I think people, you know, present all of the the W's, as we say in America, um, and they never talk about kind of where they messed up. And um, because the conversation is so hard to have, I remember in specific one fellow in a coffee shop um, was traveling in town. I don't remember what it was for, but it was, you know, his work. And the conversation just kind of struck up and he asked me what I did. And I told him I was a pastor and he said, oh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I'm sorry, I started this conversation kind of. But when we started talking about things of, uh, you know, spiritual significance, he kind of just told me, you know, God's not really all that interesting to me. Um, I'm kind of indifferent to that question. And so I went with the, you know, well, let's change gears here. What what brings you happiness in life? And um, the thing that brought him the most happiness was, if I remember correctly, he was a marathon runner and uh, his his family. And so I asked him, you know, God forbid the day comes, you're not able to to run and something happens to your family, they're taken away from you, uh, what would then bring you joy? Like, where do you see yourself going if this is, if, if your family and, and running are the two primary sources of, of what gets you up in the morning and what brings you happiness in life, what happens if those things are taken away? And it was a, a very hard and a personal question that he didn't want to answer, so he slammed his laptop shut and moved to another table. Um, I can only hope and pray that for the first time in his life, he kind of had to take a step back and recognize that there is a, th that his joy bringers are not powerful and permanent enough to sustain him all the way through his life. Um, but I will say another time I was speaking with uh, a gal, um, whose career it was, that was her greatest joy bringer. And I asked the question, what happens if you move from you know, one career to another, you get fired or something happens. And we kept going from source to source to source until finally she realized and got where I was going with it. And she says, well, what brings you your joy bringer? 
or what's your joy bringer, right? And I tell her and I, I kind of present the gospel to her and my testimony in it. And it was the first time that she had ever heard an expression of Christian faith as it related to a joy that transcends anything that we can find in the created order. And it sparked an interest in her that allowed us to talk for another 45 or so minutes about who is God, who is God's son, how do we know this in his word. Um, And she even let me pray with her uh, at the end of it, which if I had started the conversation with just saying, hey, I've got five really convincing arguments that God exists, I don't think we would have gotten there. Um, so starting with those joy bringers and, you know, her, her heart, I believe was prepared for that kind of a conversation and being a good steward of those moments. Um, it ended up not only in a gospel presentation, but, but also prayer. Yeah. I, I love those. I love those stories. And I think, I think what particular about that, that latter one I find interesting, Kyle, is that, you know, it does in a sense bring us back to, to Pascal, that, you know, while somebody thinks that the Christian faith has nothing to say to, you know, those, those issues of the everyday, no wonder I think that people are going to go wandering off and think, well, this, you know, there's not a conversation to have here, but when you can see the, the relevance. Um, so we're, we're into our last sort of th- two or three kind of minutes or so. So I suppose a, a kind of final question I might, I might have you, You're, you've obviously been thinking about this for a long time and, and practicing this. And I love your, I love your uh, humility of, of being willing to share stories where it went badly wrong and where it worked. So for someone listening to this who's who's intrigued and thinking, gosh, this is interesting because this, you know, from what you've described, sums up my friends, my colleagues, my neighbors. How does somebody start on this journey? I mean, obviously they can read your 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 excellent book, which we will put a link to in the in the show notes. People can check that out. But what are some of the perhaps first steps that somebody practically can take into you know exploring this kind of approach to to sharing their faith with friends and, and colleagues and so forth? You know, one of the things I argue for in the book is that um, before we jump out of the gate, we need to check hearts that are as close to us as our own chests. And so I think the first thing to go to is your own self. Uh, Have I been affected by apathy? Um, It was Brennan Manning who said that sometimes Christians, when they present the gospel, are like unconvincing travel salespeople pitching a place or destination they have never been themselves. And so maybe there's some self-reflection that we need to repent from idolatry of finding our joy bringers in the created order primarily and not primarily in God, and that we would pray like David did in Psalm 51 to return to me the joy of your salvation, um, to recognize that we have been given a gift of eternal life by faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, regeneration of his Holy Spirit. Um, Those are all great things that should bring us a tremendous amount of joy, not artificial happiness, uh, but a true and a sincere joy. So before you even begin to approach your neighbors, ask yourself, have I lost the joy of my salvation and do I need it returned? Um, And then second, when you are ready to talk to your neighbors, uh, again, I I think the conversations have to be flipped. We're, we're starting from a deficit of interest that for so long, we've just assumed people are going to be interested in talking about God. But for a growing number of people, that's just not true anymore. So instead of assuming that they're interested in talking about God, I think we assume they're interested in talking about what they want to talk about <laughs> themselves. Uh, they they want to talk about um, things in, in culture. And I think you've, you had, I saw, I didn't listen to the episode, but you had a guest on named Paul Gould, uh, that he and I have actually talked a lot about this uh, subject and, and presented papers on it together. 
Um, and and he, his his approach to evangelism and kind of our our, our postmodern secular age is what he calls cultural apologetics. So so latching on to the aesthetics or uh, what what makes things beautiful, um, what makes things desirable, uh, what what draws our hearts and, and what orients our affections uh, in in our life. Um, to to leverage those kinds of conversations and point out that no matter how beautiful we think something is or no matter how lovely or how wonderful, all of those things pale in comparison to the love and the joy and the wonder that is upstream from everything in the created order, who, who is God himself. So much there for us to feast on and to, to take away into our, into our own hearts and into um, the lives of those that the Lord has given to us around us. Thank you so much, Carl, for your time and, and for your wisdom. Um, Andy, as ever, it's been, a, <laughs> it's been a joy co-hosting with you. And to our listeners as well, we hope that this will give you kind of just a, a few kind of ways into conversations uh, with, with friends who seem to be apathetic about God. Uh, thank you again, Carl. And we will see you in, not you, Carl, but listeners, we will <laughs> we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time with our next wonderful guest. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. See you soon. Bye.